Hello again, church family. The Bible reading today comes from John 15, verses 5 to 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I am in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do uh, not remain in me, you are like the branches thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, my word remains in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So uh, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Thanks, James. Uh, That's just one passage that we'll be looking at this morning as we continue in in our series of Christ being at the centre. Last week we saw, uh, looked at how Christ is at the centre of absolutely everything, and uh, this morning we're going to explore a little bit, as we touched on in the kids' spot, uh, how Christ is at the centre for us. So I'm going to pray uh, to that end now. Gracious Heavenly Father, please be with us now as we reflect on your word together and be moved to have Christ more and more at the centre of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I can remember when Megs and I were leading up to getting married, uh, I was obsessed with her. Uh, We'd chat for hours and hours uh, in person, then I'd uh, go home and I'd ring her up and then we'd chat for hours and hours again. Uh, I sacrificed a lot of time and money and energy and sleep uh, just to be with her uh, or chat with her. My life revolved around when I could next be with her or chat with her. Uh, she was the first thought on my mind when I woke up and the last thought when I went to bed, I adored her. And I can remember the song uh, by Fat Boy Slim, uh, Praise You, would often come to mind with the lyrics, I have to celebrate you, baby. I have to praise you like I should. She was at the centre of my life. And if I'd said that somewhere in public, uh, I'm sure people have gone, oh, that's so nice. That's so lovely. And maybe they would have even applauded my devotion and my affection. You ever had someone or something like that in your life? Something or someone that you manage your calendar around? Someone or something that you sacrifice time and money and energy and maybe even sleep for? Someone or something you're quick to praise and celebrate and delight in and adore? Because whoever or whatever that is, you're probably making them your functional god. The simple fact is, uh, we're made to worship. We're made to love and to adore. But, as the church father Augustine said of God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. Nothing and no one else can bear the insatiable hunger of our hearts. We just end up crushing or ruining whatever or whoever else we worship apart from God, and breaking our own hearts in the process. It's only if the love of God is first in our hearts that we can properly love anything and anyone else. It's only if Christ is at the centre of our lives that we can properly and eternally be happy. And so that's where we're going today, to see Christ at the centre for us. It means, firstly, Seeing Christ is all of our life. Uh, Secondly, as such, we're to live in him. 
so that finally we do it for the glory of God. So first up, Christ is all of our life, which makes sense if we pick up from last week uh, about Christ being at the centre of life, the universe and everything, right? Because if this is the case, as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, if Christ is the image of the invisible God, he's at the centre of what it means to be human. Uh, If he's the firstborn over all creation, he's supreme over all. If he's the means of creation's existence, the goal of all of creation, if he keeps all of creation together and he's the head of the new uh, creation as much as he is of this creation, if he's both God and man, Christ, by his blood shed on that cross, reconciles all things to God and under his sovereign rule, then he is supremely at the centre of absolutely everything. Which, of course, means he's the source and the sustainer and goal of our existence, of our ongoing present, of our salvation, of our future. He's the point to our life, of all of our life, our life now and our life after death, our life into eternity, and not just the point of our life, but the one who qualifies us to have life, the one who can take it away, and the one who determines the quality and the condition of that life at every single point from here on into eternity, and who has graciously given us life with God now and into a blissfully happily ever after by having by saving us from sin and fear and death and Satan. Simply put, Christ is Lord, our Lord. As such, he rightly deserves to be worshipped. Because unlike anything and anyone else, Christ is literally all of our life. Which means the first step to keeping Christ at the centre of our life is to reckon with those things that maybe are currently rivaling him. Things that are currently at the centre of our lives. If you're not sure what they might be, ask your kids or your flatmate or someone that you spend a lot of time with you, uh, what they think is the most important thing to you. I asked my daughters the other day, uh, my youngest, Safine, uh, she said straight off, oh God, Jesus, the Bible, all the right answers, and I was like, yeah, that's that's nice. Uh, and then after pondering for a bit, Phoebe, my uh, middle child, insightfully said, Dad, I think it's pleasing people. You want people to like you. What is it for you? What is it that rivals Christ being the most important thing for you? Maybe it's people thinking well of you or avoiding shame or having a good job or being a good person or being a model family, in a model family or being thought of as smart or maybe it's it's the love of a lover or of a certain thing or an occupation because we might need to repent and seek God's forgiveness if something other than Christ is at the centre of our lives. Because unlike anything or anyone else, Christ is literally all of our life. He alone deserves our worship. Which brings us to the second point. Because Christ is all of our life, we should live in him. And so uh, Jesus memorably says in the Gospel of John, 
whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Now, we know from the context that Jesus has been making it pretty clear that people need to, what people need to get eternal life. Uh, and it's to believe in him. And so when he says here, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, he's saying whoever believes in him has eternal life. Whoever believes in what he's going to do with his life, represented here in his body and blood, has eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus and that he gives his life for them, they're the ones who will have eternal life. And that whoever believes this, verse 56, remains in me and I in them. The word remains here, uh, it means abide or dwell with or to stay or live with. And Jesus says, whoever believes in him remains in him and he with them. Uh, The Apostle Paul sees this is just part of life with Christ being at the centre, with Christ as Lord as he says in Colossians uh, chapter 2, where he wrote, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. As Lord of life, the universe and everything, Christ could command any one of us to receive him. He could force himself to be at the centre of your life. He could make you sit at his table and forcibly jam down your throat all the spiritual goodies he's prepared But that's not how we received him. We happily received him as the Lord of life, the universe and everything, by faith, knowing he wants us and delights in us and put out an incredible spread, his own body and blood, just to host us. He wants us at his table to enjoy all the blessings of being with him so that we remain with him. Or, as Paul says, continue to live our lives in him the way that we started. And so, not surprisingly, the way to remain in Jesus and he in you is to strengthen your faith in him. As Paul goes on, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. The way to keep Christ at the centre of your life, the way he'll be Lord in your life, the way he'll shape your values, your thinking, your behaviour, is as you're established in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught. The Colossians were taught by Paul and Paul's mate, Epaphras. They passed on the gospel, the good news about Christ, anticipated in the Old Testament and passed down by the apostles' teaching which we have in the New Testament. To be strengthened in the faith then, now, is to be built up in our knowledge of Christ in the Bible. It's to read and study and understand and digest God's word, the Bible. Not as a rote exercise, but not not for a test, or to impress others with your knowledge, but to continue living in Jesus. Have you ever had... uh, Good friends around for a meal. 
and they've gone to leave at one point. But something else has come up in the conversation. Uh, there was just such a great vibe. Uh, another bottle of wine was open, maybe. And so they've tarried. They've, they've stayed longer. They've remained. In the same way, as you sit down with the Bible to read it, remember whose table you're at and how he's delighted that you're there and wants you to enjoy getting to know him and knowing him. As such, he wants you to tarry to linger, to stay a little longer. I imagine sometimes we're just so rushed to fit in the rest of our life that reading the Bible, even though we know it's important and we're sure it's probably got some good life lessons in there for us, we're just not maybe up to being told what to do or how we're stuffing up and it feels like being at school rather than at a uh, a dinner party. But what if we saw it more as a dinner party? that the act of strengthening your faith was less about learning what's right and wrong from a book and more about lingering with a person, of staying with Jesus to enjoy him. Even as we have the urge to go and do something else, then instead we might be delighted to know Jesus more and so stay a little longer on that verse, in that story, to actually commit some of the Bible to memory, Not to be better than the guy next door, but as something to recall in our quieter moments, in the shower or in the car or when no one's looking, just to delight in or to redirect uh, unhelpful thoughts to instead. I did this recently with a mate. We were committing to memory the first few verses of the book of Hebrews and to have those words right there in our minds to call on and to reflect on and to wonder at, to linger on and then chat through and pray from, it was it was enjoyable and encouraging. I've been hooked on the Psalms for a little while now and time and time again I've been pleasantly surprised with bits that I've come across and at first have seemed so foreign or removed or maybe irrelevant to me but as I've stayed with them, lingered, thought, prayed, maybe gone to move on in frustration but then just stayed a little longer, I've been surprised how in those moments those sections by God's grace, have opened up and ended up deepening my faith in Jesus and deepening my appreciation of his reach into the recesses of my heart and my affections. So because Christ is all of our life, let's live in him by strengthening our faith in him from the Bible. Which brings us to the final point, and indeed the goal of Christ being at the centre of our lives the glory of God. Because while our faith in Christ gives us so many benefits and blessings, the goal of our faith, it's not to be blessed, but to bless. To have Christ at the centre of our lives, it's not firstly about us. It's about God. It's to glorify God. As Paul wraps up the grandness of the gospel in his letter to the Romans, he writes, from him For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Which means that our whole life is to be lived for God's glory, as Paul says elsewhere. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. To glorify God is to live in Christ. It's to live by faith in Christ. It's to let our faith in Christ 
permeate and influence and shape every single part of our lives. And so that's why, for the rest of this term, we're going to be taking a closer look at key areas in life, in our lives, to see how we live in Christ for God's glory, from the way that we do mission, uh, to doing church, to doing family, money, work, sex, and rest. Can I encourage you to download those studies from our website, if you haven't already, and get into a growth group, if you're not already, to study the Bible together uh, in these during this week or these weeks as we look to see how to glorify God in everything that we do. But now, we're going to look at the first port of call when it comes to glorifying God in Christ. And it's effective prayer. As Jesus says uh, in uh, the Gospel of John that we read earlier, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. To glorify God the Father is to ask God for what we want, as our wants come from remaining in Christ and his words remaining in us. God is glorified as we want what Christ's want wants and ask for it. Yes, God's glorified as we live all of our lives for Christ, but it all starts and ends with wanting what Christ wants and asking God for it. It all starts with heartfelt prayer, specifically with praise, which is why when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, the first thing that he teaches He starts with a request for God to be praised. You know how it goes? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Sure, this is very familiar to us, to many of us. But what does it actually mean to ask God, hallowed or holy be your name? What are we asking him for? Well, firstly, God's name is a term for God himself, as he is known to people in Christ. And for his name to be holy, then, is for God to be set apart and as special and honoured. But that's already the case. His name is already holy. So it must be our use of his name that it's not kept holy. So this, then, what Jesus is saying in this prayer, in this petition, is asking that God as he is known to us in Christ, be set apart as special and honoured by us. It's it's a prayer that we glorify God. But uh, John Calvin, the great reformer, he goes to the heart of it as he comments on this, when he says, What is more unworthy than for God's glory to be obscured partly by our ungratefulness? In other words, ingratitude and an indifference towards God Fail to honour his name. To hallow God's name then is more than just doing godly things. It's to have a heart of grateful joy toward God. As Calvin goes on. For wherever God becomes known, his powers cannot fail to be manifested. Might, goodness, wisdom, righteousness, mercy, truth. These should captivate us with wonderment for him and impel us to celebrate his praise. There is no better way to be captivated by God and adore him for who he is than by calling to mind all that he's done for us 
such that we naturally end in praising with thanks, as King David encourages his own soul to do in Psalm 103, where he writes, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Which he then goes on to list in that psalm. And this is something the Apostle Paul lands on too in Ephesians 1 as he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he lists a bunch of those spiritual blessings and benefits that he chose us before the creation of the world, that in love he predestined us to be his children, that he has redeemed us through his blood, he's forgiven us, landing time and time again in the light of these blessings in Christ on the praise of God's glory. To glorify God in Christ then is firstly to praise him. So how might we develop a habit of praise to God? Firstly, uh, maybe by committing God's benefits in Christ to memory. Uh, You could do worse than memorising Ephesians chapter 1, those verses that Paul writes there, and then regularly call those verses to mind so as to praise God for Christ. Maybe even use them as you pray. Something like, Praise be to you, Lord God Almighty, in giving me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I praise you for your love, choosing me before creation and adopting me as your child. I praise you for redeeming me and forgiving me in Christ. You are holy, gracious and sovereign and good. That would be a good prayer. Another way uh, might be to stand on the shoulders of giants. And learn from the prayers and praises of the great saints of the past. From those in scripture, particularly in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 8, 103 and uh, 145 are a few great examples. Uh, Read them in the light of Christ and use them maybe as a template to write your own prayers of praise. But also borrow from godly men and women of the past who love God and praise him well. Look up the prayers of Martin Luther, John Calvin, Augustine. Or later saints like uh, Tim Keller. His book on prayer is a is full of wonderful examples of praise to riff off in your own prayers of praise. And finally, another way to cultivate a habit of praise is in song. As Paul writes later in Colossians, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Uh, Music is a gift from God that he designed to move the heart and stir the affections. So of course he wants us to sing his praises. That's perhaps the best way to express the gratitude in our hearts to God by singing. I don't know if you've ever been moved to tears singing praise to God, but but it's a relief. Because to be moved to praise God, particularly in song, is to do what all people do when they speak of what they care of. As uh, the Christian thinker C.S. Lewis uh, helpfully notes when he wrote, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is, it is its appointed consummation. Noting later, 
the worthier the object, the more intense the delight would be. So with God being the most worthy object of our praise, then to praise God is not only fitting for God's glory, it's to our ultimate delight. As Lewis notes again, the Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but shall we then know that these are the same thing? Fully to enjoy is to glorify. And what better way than to heighten such enjoyment of God than in song? So let's sing praise to God. This is, of course, why he calls us to sing together as much as we can, when we can, as we gather together as his people. But let's get to singing God's praise to God personally. Call to mind those songs that you love, that delight in Christ, and sing them. Sing them to yourself, to your friends, if they'll let you, in the car, in the shower. I know someone who puts their own tune to the psalm that they read each day to praise God through the day. Find a Christian artist who delights in Christ and sing along to their songs. I found one recently. Uh, she goes by the name Pages CXVI. She's covered a number of old hymns of praise that I've found some of them very moving. Let's find songs to praise God to. Maybe you could tell us your favourite song, a favourite song of yours uh, in the Facebook, uh, Facebook membership page. Let's glorify God in Christ by enjoying him in praise. So in finishing up, to have Christ at the centre of our lives is to reorientate our love to the only one who deserves our heart and adoration and worship, the only one who can satisfy our hungry souls and give us what we so crave, everlasting happiness because it's as we realign to Christ being all of our life so that we keep living by faith in him to praise and glorify God in him that we grow to enjoy God in Christ. And I'm going to pray that we do that to that end. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you for your immense goodness and kindness and love to us in Christ. We thank you that all the benefits that you have given us in him speak to who you are, that you are beautiful and majestic and good and merciful and kind and sovereign. You are above all and you deserve our adoration and our worship. You deserve our hearts And Father, we ask that you would help us to give our hearts to you. That we would commit to lingering in your word, strengthening our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and bringing great glory to you. Particularly as we cultivate a habit of praising you. Praising you in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.